It's the setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Cardo. It's Monday, October 28th, 2019, and uh, I just went to my first magic convention. Yeah, first one over the over the week. Yeah. This is a, I will say this doesn't bode well for Magi Fest Columbus in terms of my bank account. Oh, sure. <laughs> because the dealer room at this was Penguin Max West. The dealer room was I I think pretty small. Okay. Like the dealer room only had maybe uh, like seven dealers. I saw Brent Garris of the Magic Apple um post like a video from there and it was a small video but it did look smaller than uh than i have typically seen so, it, 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 it um magic conventions but that being said also i felt like this was a generally smaller convention this wasn't like a full magic convention no it's it 60 dollars for the whole thing yeah um that's pretty great very cheap um very affordable but I'm, what i'm saying is that in a small dealer's room and having seen i guess maybe five lectures mm-hmm. i spent a lot of money and so this doesn't this this Columbus thing is going to kill me. I right. think. <laughs> um, speaking of which, I got an extra one of these for you. This has not been released yet. Oh, this is from Penguin. This is called Flight One Hundred One. Uh, do you have a key ring uh, on you? Uh, yeah. Um. So the this is the big one here. Yeah. Um. So let's see how does this work. Uh, I'm pulling yeah. off my uh, keys. Oh no, that's fine. I'll just take those keys right there. So, like, basically, I've got my my wedding ring, uh, and I'm just gonna attach it to your key ring, just like that. Huh. That's um, interesting. So you can look at that. Huh. Well, basically, not give anything away because it's all on audio. But Oop. it is a new little ring to. Um, you get a keys from one spectator. You get a ring from another spectator. And you attach the ring to the key ring. It's pretty convincing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and then uh, you, you can just undo it and give it back to them and hmm. nothing is going wrong. So there you go. Flight 101. I assume that's actually a ring, right? Yeah. Okay. Not out to the public yet. That's interesting. Oh, cool. I'll have to take a closer look at that. Um, By Roddy McGee. McGee. Um, and then I also brought, uh, I asked John before we started, how good is his chop cup routine? Because I bought a chop cup. Nice. Uh, first chop cup? This is my, I have a cheap one that I didn't really oh, it's like. It's heavy. Um, Wait. Wait. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> the, neither of them were sticking. I'm like, this is just, a, someone just told you a tin cup. Yeah, yeah. And two balls. Oh yeah, this is very sensitive. Apparently, this is um, like very. Uh, it's a, the the balls are calibrated perfectly to the magnet inside the hmm. the cup. Don't know what that means, but okay. Um, I think that the strength of the magnet is like just enough to, like, so you don't have to slam the cup down to like. Oh yeah, I go. did notice that. That's, yeah, it's nice. It's heavy. It's like got a good yeah. density to it. This is from Michael Kaminskis. Okay, do you know him? I'm familiar with his name. Cups. I think he's put out some stuff, but I don't. Yeah. I don't know it that well. He also re- has a bunch of nice magic wands hmm. that were. Like a little, out of, like I don't really right have you, but they're really beautiful. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Magic conventions. Every now and you'll see a table. It's just these really nice handcrafted magic wands. Okay, gorgeous. I was very surprised. There was no dealer in the dealer room with uh, like fun magic T-shirts. Mm. That's got to be a thing, right? It's not a big thing because I've been to like a Magic Live where there's an enormous dealer's room yeah. every year. Um, there'll be like one or two booths that has something like that. There's usually always a booth that sells like uh, at Magic Live. I don't know about other conventions, um, like magic jewelry. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But that's uh, yeah. But it's not. I was as, just a little surprised that there wasn't someone 
just you know with corny magic t-shirts right i i've seen like i think i think it's genie maybe at their booth where they kind of get you to sign up for their magazine mm-hmm. also has like maybe shirt giveaways that they give you i think i'm sure penguin has shirts that they i, I, I don't really know there weren't really like even if there were just cool like hand-drawn portraits of like classic magicians right uh you know right or like on Luis rubiales could make a killing yeah yeah, characters yeah. Of- or like i was thinking modern ones like present day ones with like they're like imagine a like a New Yorker style or Wall Street Journal style like line drawing of Danny D. Ortiz and right. it says I do nothing. I do nothing. <laughs> but a little I would totally buy that. That's pretty cool. Uh but I've been playing with this little chop cups and they handed it to me. And yeah, you it's you can very softly tap it and that ball will uh mm-hmm. um, will release, which is I, my least favorite thing about watching chop cup routines is, is how slam how it's just like half of the time they're setting it down very gingerly and half of the time they just like yeah, they just like slam it down. Yeah, uh, he also mentioned that if you, he said in general for chop cups, uh, that if you hit one edge first, even with regular other chop cups, that if you, uh, it'll it's easier to dislodge if you don't put it all down. Oh, that makes once. that makes sense to me. So you put yeah, yeah. So little Granted, with this, I mean, it, it comes off so easily that it wouldn't really make a difference. But yeah, in other chop cups. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, I might learn a little chop cup yeah. routine. Um. You can learn one on uh, math, the Penn and Teller Master Class. That's right. Uh, and I have a new impression for you. Ooh. Um, so I've tried, I don't know like what trick this is. That was such going. a gingerly squeal for me. Yeah. Ooh. Um, so let's say we're playing like, let's say we're playing three card Monty. And um, which card do you think that the, the, red, uh, the red queen is under? And now I'm not trying to intimidate you or bamboozle you or fluster you in any way. Now, this is not a regular act of a con man or flim flammery. This is not solipsism <laughs> or sophistry. This is just an accumulation of decades of hard skill and maybe, yes, a bit of luck. I'm- Yay, you did it. High five. High five. <laughs> I have no idea who that is and I love it. <laughs> I feel like it's spot on. I don't know if it is. Um, that is Paul V. Hill. <laughs> oh, that's very good. That is good. Uh, um, yeah, we saw. So l- let me just go through who we saw. By the way, I liked Paul V. Hill. I just, I just, it was fun to uh, acquire another impression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, th- yeah, he did. Uh, anyway, so who do we, who do I see? I saw, uh, there, they opened with a show that was Nick LaCapo, mm-hmm. Eric Tate, and Dan Harlan. Cool. That was cool. Sounds like a good show. Um, Eric then, Tate's really good. What did mm-hmm. he do? He did. Did he do the thing he did on Fool Us with the invisible three card money? That's a fun routine. He might have actually. Uh, he did a, a Leonard Green like snap deal. He, he did. Is that a snap deal? The Leonard Green one uh, where it disappears. Yeah, it's like yes. he's doing three card money and the cards are like invisible I and they're appearing he did and disappearing. Do that, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, and that was the first night. And then there was a, I mean, a, an enjoyable lecture where Nick Lacapo just demonstrated like new penguin stuff, ah, <laughs> like like a dealer uh, show sort of thing. Yeah. And then uh, a late Dan Harlan lecture that I missed because I was very tired. And I, I thought, looking at what he had laid out, it was very similar to the Sydney. Right, you, you had seen him this year. Yeah. And, yeah. I, so, I can't imagine it would be that different. Next morning, back at the hotel at 9.30 a.m., mm-hmm. I should have just gotten a room at the hotel. Sure. Because it just would it was in Culver City and sure. it would have just been easier. Um, Brent Braun at 9.30. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh sean dunn from penguin now the only thing that as you're saying a lot of these names a lot of them i'm familiar with like yeah. brent braun i know who that is uh my finger is not really on the pulse of like released 
magic products um, uh-huh. and the, and the you know like penguin vanishing Ink. like the 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 common names you see associated with those i i, I don't know that well um i think you, you you follow that a little bit closer than i do um currently so i don't necessarily know like when you go Brent Braun, I don't, I, I don't know what to. Brent Braun uh, released something called Position Impossible, okay, and also Cipher, which is um, that sounds familiar. Cipher is like an impression pad, okay. uh, that can go in the card box. It's really it, good. It you you write down a name and then it just does the impression for you. Yeah, yeah, you write down like, but it can only do like Jimmy Stewart and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, Jimmy Stewart's the only impression I can do. Oh yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, it's the only one. I, it's the only one I know. You you should be acquiring these magician. In, in. I know, but I I got Jimmy Stewart, and that's it. And that's not being that's not being relevant. What thirty years ago? <laughs> Nobody in my generation knows who that is. But your parents love it. Oh yeah. Oh, it does great at our annual Christmas party. Well, well, what's uh? Well, see now I can't get into it. See, that, that's the scariest thing about impressions. I hear Pete Holmes talk about that. anytime someone from SNL is on. He's like, how does that? How often does that happen where you just can't find it that particular day? Uh-huh, you know, because yeah. sometimes you just like you're. Always a little off. Um, yeah. Well, that uh, I want. Oh, that. What is the movie where he does something about the moon? Uh, you, you want the moon? Right, right. Oh, well, I don't know the line. Uh, that's uh, Apollo thirteen, I think. Got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. To, I need to you, find you the actual the hooks into these impressions. To uh, just I, be I like, wanted to start a boys' club. Now, 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 would you? Now, will you pick a card from this deck? And would you say that's fair? Um, and if it, if, if anything is not completely fair, then we can start over. I want you to be happy, so pick that I tires. Happy. Yeah, take a look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I gotta see more Paul V. Hill to get this impression down. He is really good. I really like his style. I the before I saw, I don't know how exactly how to articulate this, but before I saw him for the first time um, in the close-up gallery, I was with a friend who knew him pretty well, mm-hmm. and um, I knew who he was. I knew he was very good. Well, you knew him, him from uh, because he was on the island and lost. Yes, um. that's right. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, I knew I had seen him somewhere. He, he just reminds me of, uh, I forget what the guy's name is. I couldn't tell you either. Uh, the guy, he's also from Person of Interest. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, but before I saw him, a friend of mine went, uh, like, his style just feels very magical. Like, it feels like he's really doing magic. And I think that is very true. Like, mm-hmm. he just, it doesn't feel like he's doing tricks. It really feels like there's some sort of magical element to what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So uh, Brent Braun, um, so then we I watched uh, Sean Dunn, who works for Penguin, and he just talked about, like, uh, he it, it was just a discussion about if you want to sell something through Penguin, mm-hmm. what it's like. Uh, Sean Dunn, adorable. What what is it? What is it? Uh, uh, what is the process like? Uh, you just email them with your idea, and then they kind of talk about how much of it, you know, how much of it is like, uh, like like if you pitch them your card thing, the 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 little snap card or the appearing card thing. Oh, it would be a question of like. The, the coin are, matrix thing? Yeah. Would they help you manufacture it? Um, and how much um, royalties you would get from it? They mm-hmm. sort of discuss that stuff. Yeah. Interesting thing from that was uh, they can, like, it's considered a success or a popular product if you sell a thousand of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of, he kind of implied that the top end of a, of like a very, very popular product would be something that sold 10,000 over like a couple of years. Wow. Which is not, as much as you would, th- right? As I mean, I would relative think. to, relative to like oh, in any product in the in, mainstream in, in, in any other field, right? It, yeah. Mm. I mean, if you sell ten thousand, like Drake any, sold ten thousand copies, right? He would be out of business tomorrow. <laughs> he would like jump into the Atlantic mm-hmm. Ocean. 
Um, but it is funny to see like how relatively that does change because we think about. I mean, I would. I mean, I think, and there are stats to back this up. More people watch one watch one of your episodes of Superstore yes. on the night it airs than people will see Hamilton in a year. Yeah. You know, like in that Broadway theater. Yeah, you know? and rightly so because our show is much better. than So Hamilton. much better. Yeah. I've been, you know, it's much more current. I would say. Yeah. Um, and then we, we saw John Bannon. Cool. Who's good? Uh, was that a show or a lecture? That was a lecture. Okay. Uh, what did he lecture on? He lectured on just some card stuff. Okay. I, I, I mean, it's funny because I had your, uh, you and Shoot's thoughts in my head the whole day of like every time I saw a lecture, I was like, I should go up and buy something from them. Oh, sure. So I ended up like walking up to that table to buy something from like every single person that did oh, a lecture. Well, that's very nice. Um, except Paul V Hill because I had two of the lectures that he was selling. He was selling like his penguin lecture. Oh, I see. And he's got a um a three person one with him and Johnny Thompson that they did at Magic Live. Right. And another guy that I don't remember. Yeah, uh, but a, men- a mentalist. Like, um, was that the Why Mentalism lecture? I it's think we like the about three of them live with Dan Harlan, like in a hotel convention room. Oh, okay. Um, and then the other thing that he was selling was a three hundred dollar Johnny Thompson uh, prediction mm. that uh, I like. I, it's not something I would necessarily... It was so expensive. And also he was like, if you buy this, you have to have the Johnny Thompson book as well to go with it. Which is so, also $300. Yeah. So it was a combination of props and book and stuff that ended up... It was just... But he did do the trick for as part of his lecture and it was really cool. Cool. Uh, Eric, then Eric Tate did a... Oh, Nick Del Capo did his... Levitation, Levitation which was my favorite thing on the whole weekend. Cool. What um, what was it your favorite about that versus something else? Well, it was so they so they do this thing where Nick, Eric Tate, and Dan Harlan do these half hour, like really workshops. Like when you walked into the Nick Lacapo and you were handed one of these cards, mm-hmm. whirling cards, and you were like up and practicing it with him. Right. So it was just fun because it was very. Uh, like as opposed to lectures where you're sort of watching going like, yeah, I'll do this someday. I'm going to buy this or I'll take notes on this thing. This was like, oh, just get up and do it right now. Which I feel like at a smaller convention like that, they can facilitate. Often at big, uh, like at FISM, I would say four different people did private workshops um, for like 20 people that were a little bit more like that, but they were extra. Um, So so like Juan Tamarez, Hector Mancha, um, Avner. Did you do any of these? Um, I did the Juan Tamarez one. Um, And I, I, I... Uh, it, you just openly crying. The it whole time. was it, well, pretty much. Uh, I was crying and also very erect. Uh, <laughs> but it was uh, some uh, someone used a favor to get me in because it was. I didn't realize this. These were happening until like the week before. How many people were in the room with him? Twenty, twenty-five. Wow. Um, and then uh, um, it was four hours. Jeez. Um, and I took like fifteen pages of the notes. And he only taught a couple tricks. And his theory was like, look, you can learn card tricks anywhere. He's like, I want to talk to you about my theories on magic. So we did a couple of card tricks that he used as vehicles to talk about the theory and mm-hmm. they worked so well and they fooled everyone because um, he was correct. It, it, it's so cool when you see a magician give a theory lecture um, and the theory comes after tricks they've done and then you see the theory actually work. Oh, I think cool. the same thing when I saw Roberto Joby a year and a half ago now at the Magic Apple. Um, he was doing these great tricks that f- were fooling me or they were subtly fooling me and then afterwards he goes, here's the theory I'm using and and, and everyone went, that is that 100% worked. I think hmm. sometimes people talk about theory but it doesn't what, really what's apply. What's something that Juan said that like was new to you that that isn't something that people in America would think generally about. Like he, he's mostly he's all card magic, right? Right. Um, he just has a lot of uh, paella. 
Yeah, he, he, it was a buffet-style <laughs> thing. Uh, we just ate paella and, and talked. Uh, I have to go back and look at my notes, actually. I think I'll, I'll do that, and maybe next week I can kind of go uh, talk a little bit about what that was. I believe some version of that same workshop, I think he did a lot of places, I think you can buy. I think the Magic Apple sells one for like $35 or something. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same. I think it's mostly the same. And given how kind of tailored it was, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's different every time he does it a little bit. But he would just, uh, yeah, he, um, he would talk about, oh, he talked about a lot about comedy and magic and the dangers of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was very interesting. And he made what I thought to be a very interesting... Um, he oh, this is about, like, releasing tension? Yeah. So yeah. he's basically like, if the, you have a graph where the, uh, the, the x-axis axis is time and the y-axis is tension. And the more tension there is, uh, generally a magic trick as time goes on, as the, you move right on the y- x-axis, you're moving up on the y-axis, right? As time goes on, the tension's building. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the trick is set up. And if you're doing well, if you're a good performer, that tension is building. Every time the audience laughs, they relax and the tension goes down. So you basically have this line going, um, I think I might have talked about this on a very early episode of the podcast, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have this line sort of going in a sort of diagonal direction, you know, um, like one one to one x to y and then anytime you uh someone laughs the tension just goes just drops straight down for a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and, the, and the time you know the access of time doesn't move at all and he, he was basically saying that you have to be very very careful when you space out your jokes because as you climb that thing the uh you know you want the highest amount of tension when this trick hits and it finally lands because that's when you get the biggest reaction because right. now if you're making good great or you know jokes that are getting people to laugh towards the end of that as the tension's really high it's dropping really low and you'll never be able to climb back to where it could have gone right because whereas if you're making jokes earlier on when it hasn't been that long the, the the line hasn't gone up very much so that it, it won't fall very much and then it's easier to climb back to kind of where you were. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of the, that was sort of the, the an interesting theory. He had, had lost a little tidbit. I probably made the same joke last time but the easiest way to keep the tension is just to do racial jokes. Right. And then the tension is still the high. still very much there. And then like, you know, right in the middle of like a very tense, awkward, problematic conversation, you reveal the four of diamonds. Right. <laughs> And everyone's just like, oh, okay. As you're apologizing on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and you're uh, I'm diamonds. like, basically, you know, on Twitter, you put like... Um, I'm sorry I, for anyone I offended. Well, I'm sorry if your card was the four of diamonds. <laughs> Something like that. Um, so anyway, Nick's thing was really good. Then Eric Tate did a zero to card sharp workshop, which was uh, bas- basically a little mini lecture of his going through some tricks. Oh, I actually learned a very good thing that I'd never... He explained... Uh, a way to get into double lift that's just a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So instead of doing a get ready, he just ha- it's it's funny that I've been practicing second deal, right? Because uh, second deal you p- make this little brief, right? Right. So he's basically says the same position. You start a second deal, you push them over, and then you just grab the two that you need. Mm-hmm. So that like it's just way easier for me to get into. Sure. Because I have a real problem getting having a get ready like this push over and then getting the two. Mm-hmm. I cannot. I feel like my fingers are just long enough to get around the deck. Oh, I, see. I never feel like my fingers are long enough to do get good. Are you break. saying your fingers are too short? Too short. Got it. Yeah, like my fingers to get like a lot of people when they hold a pinky break, they're like mm-hmm. the pinky's like all the way. Anyway, I'm sure it's just practice. But his thing was just to push over like a second deal and just you can actually just look and see the two right there and just grab them and like mm-hmm. put them together. That's interesting. Um, probably not as like. Uh, fooling to magicians a double lift, but like for practical purposes, you know, for right. lay people. Uh, 
so that was good. And then Dan Harlan did a rubber band workshop, which sure. I, I was going to skip because I was like, I don't really care about this. Uh, and then it was actually really fun. Cool. What What do you think? Um, looking at the, how many people were there approximately? I, I would say maybe. Oh no, I think I saw capacity. It was like 140 or something. Capacity was 300. Oh, I would say that mind. it was between 150 and 200. Okay. So uh, I, I imagine you saw a lot of the f- same faces at different events, right? Yes. So uh, there's only one more thing that I did, which okay. is Paul V. Hill show and lecture. And mm-hmm. then I hit a wall and had to go home. Like I actually had a show to go to, but I was very tired. Sure. So that's the entire what I saw. And when you say like, do I see the same faces? It was all in the same room, like over and over and over. Like, we basically spent from 9.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. in the same room, just going outside for like breaks. Got it. And as I swapped over to new stuff. Yeah. But those were like, the turnovers were like 10 minutes sometimes. Well, my question is, is if you were able to get sort of a read, especially at these workshops and stuff, yeah. what, um, and maybe even at lectures that people were asking questions and what, what seemed to resonate. Uh, first, I'm curious, what see people seem to really react to the most? Second, I guess I would say, what is, uh, what did it feel like the skill level in the room was? And did it feel like the convention was attuned to that? Did it, did it feel like the convention brought stuff to people that was in a skill level that was right for that audience? I think it did because I would say that that crowd generally was more probably like either where I am or where I was like a year ago. Like, okay. especially if it's a thing hosted by a magic vendor, mm-hmm. I think you're going to tend to have a demographic that is um, like... A lot of people that like to buy his stuff, sure. Necess- like um, the hobbyists, yeah. like when he like when he was going through the rubber band workshop, like they, like it took a long time to get through some of the sure things that I was like, uh, like this part's not that hard. <laughs> like, I, I feel like you know at a, at a larger magic event like Magic Live, Magic yeah. Live, and, and Fism as well. Fism did the same thing. Um, they're so big, and they're I mean, Fism is a five and a half day convention. Yeah, Fism's and so long; it's like a marathon. Um, and Magic Live is is, is three and a half days. Um, and, and magic live, you can't see everything. You always, you always have to pick, uh, every day you have to pick, um, two out of three things to go see, uh-huh. um, in the afternoon when you're picking like these little focus, like sessions that are all happening simultaneously and you get like two hours They're each an hour and you have two hours. That might be good see, in a way though. Well, it's, it, what it is is, I mean, what you get is, um, there's three of those every day. And so there's like nine of those, um, of which you can see, uh, uh, six. So there's a little bit of everything. Yeah. And so there's harder stuff. There's easier stuff. There's yeah. out there stuff, right? You can do it. There's the thing on like you know balloon magic or like random shit like that, and and you can really kind of pick. So at a bigger convention with a lot more people, there's tends to be more of a buffet style thing where you can right, go, oh, here's right. what I want to see. Um, not always like IBM. I think doesn't really do that. They can, you can kind of go to everything, but there's still a lot of different kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Fism, you could not see everything. Um, if you wanted to watch a lot of the competition, you missed all the lectures. Was what which is what Ooh, I did. I wanted I wanted to watch the whole competition, and I did. Right. Um, and I don't regret it. And if you see all the lectures and all those. Those things you're, you're not seeing much. Miss a lot of the competition. Um, hmm. So, anyway, you can kind of then you can kind of throw anything that seems interesting to you as a as a convention booker. You can kind of put on at because a very small convention like this. You kind of don't have that. You kind of have to sort of you're curating everything. You don't have a lot of you, you have a lot of people comparatively to the rest of these conventions. So I feel like you kind of have to ensure that what you're bringing to this convention um, is going to uh, be good for this audience. Yeah. You know? I would a, a say three that three-hour lecture on the most intense carbon relation probably would not play very well there because right. I would say that the uh, so there, were, there also like, were a lot of kids there. Okay, it, so so basically, I'm saying did it feel like that 
they might have taken that into account? Did it feel like they made the right choices for the people at the convention? I do think they did. I think I think I know what you're saying, and I think that they kind of sort of like through mm-hmm. uh what do you call it through the ball down the middle of the plate mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or something over the plate over the plate right over the plate. um in terms of like the john bannon one was very good but very like um you know with a with a borrowed deck kind of like uh it, it, a lot of john bannon stuff has like an amateur feel to it like in a good way mm-hmm. and so i felt like that appeal now this is all um with the caveat that I sat in, I was always in a lecture. I there were people just in the lobby, just like sessioning, like jamming. the whole day, just fucking jamming. Just fucking jamming, bro. Uh, and the reason I knew that was we'd be like, like even during Paul V Hill's show, I'd hear like applause coming from the lobby. Sure. And so those dudes are probably higher skill level, mm-hmm. and probably just like to go. In fact, those dudes probably, I, I, I imagine some portion of those guys didn't pay for the convention. Because oh, you really, sure. you could just show up and just be in the right. lobby, um, and just every year there's that. There's basically like a roped off section that you need to pass at Magic Live to there, get yeah, into. Not, and every year there's a every year there's like people that will just kind of go and just like stand outside of that or stand downstairs in the casino, yeah, like at the bar, and they'll just hang out with everyone. They're like, I'm yeah. not gonna pay and see this, and or like they, oh, they live in Vegas, and they don't want to pay for the convention. They want to see all their yeah. friends coming to town. So I, will, I will say that because the convention itself was, I thought, very inexpensive, that also made me feel more like I should spend money, especially like on the penguin stuff sure. that was there. Um, now that being said, uh, there were, I would say, probably like three or four like pretty famous magicians that were just watching all like a fair number of the lectures, oh. and um, I always think that's interesting. I I I'm always feel like some of them are like, what could you possibly be getting out of this lecture? Right. Like you. Like I know half of the stuff in this lecture, you must know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then sometimes I feel like it's just them. Sure, yeah. It's, part of it is respect. Part of it is like you can, you know, especially if it's a name you respect, you can go. Well, I, you know, maybe I'll learn something. You know, well, I, like, like to you can the always point, learn something to the point that there were other convention attendees that were like, "Oh my god, look who that is!" Like next, right. like they would be looking across me, like, "I'm like that's so and so." Right? Like, what are they doing here? And then, and then be like, man, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. They're still trying to learn, which is fine. Like I've gone to several lectures with Shoot um, to see people that, you know, I think he just respects. Yeah. yeah. Like at the end of it, I mean, yeah, I, I, he would buy stuff and was, you know. Yeah. Um, um, it, it's funny. That happened too where um, I'd be in the line waiting to buy stuff. And it's almost like sometimes the magician is embarrassed to sell something to like like that must happen with shoot sometimes if he goes up to buy something they're like well you don't like you don't have to buy something for right. me like that, that i saw that reaction a couple of times um uh and also uh eddie mm-hmm. i uh, saw him posting that he was there yeah what's his uh partner's name i have no idea uh i want to say like jeffrey He's got like a guy he's doing. Oh, stuff the guy's doing stuff with on those Instagram videos. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never met him, so okay. I and I can't remember his name. Well, I was dumb because I was like, "Hey, your hoodies kind of match," and, if, and they were like, "Yeah, it's on purpose." Yeah. <laughs> so now, um, um, I th- what is that guy's name? Is Jeffrey? Uh, but they're doing stuff where Eddie's Eddie's. I don't even know Eddie's last name. But his, um, I, I think I, it's a Chinese name that I'm not um, it's, that you're not interested in. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's you. You pronounce you can. Pr- you speak a little bit Mandarin, don't uh-huh. you? you Shu, I would say. Shu? X-U. X-U. And then how'd um, you say his first name? Jiayi, but I don't know the tones. Got it. Okay. Jiayi, Shu, Shu Jiayi. 
You always say the family name first. Right. Uh, that, I don't know why I put on like a cartoonish, like I always do that when I speak Chinese. Uh, like, <laughs> you sound like Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, basically. Uh, uh, Is that Mickey Rooney? Right? Yeah, it is oh, Mickey Rooney. Uh, okay. Yeah. Although he was Japanese, didn't speak Mandarin in that. Um, oh, is that Japanese? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, the, but, the but Eddie Shu has these crazy vanishes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I also didn't realize he has these crazy, uh, like, um, what's the opposite of vanish? Production. <laughs> Productions that are similar. Right. But opposite. So now the two of them are doing them, like, in tandem with each other. I don't know if you've seen Yes. This. Yeah, like a, yeah, like a transposition sort of. Yeah. What's his Instagram? Let's yeah. It. So it's magic underscore uh, G-I-E. So it's J-I-A-Y-I. Uh, magic underscore J-I-A-Y-I. Yeah, you got to see there. These, these he's, po- he's constantly posting videos of, and even though he's not doing that coin stuff, all this shit is so good. He's awesome. And by the way, one of his like vanishes... This podcast. Uh, maybe? One, one of his, one of his uh, vanishes, it's like they basically are doing like team vanishes and yeah. team productions that are synchronized. And by the way, don't fuck with the Chinese when it comes to synchronization. <laughs> if you ever see synchronized diving oh, God. from the Olympics... Oh god! The Chinese are the is that best. A Chinese that synchronized walking, where you have those two like crowds of people that walk through each other. Uh, I think that's Japanese. It's well, Japanese? there's a Japanese group called Genki New World Order that does that kind of stuff. Okay. But maybe it's Chinese. Um, it's like yeah, two crowds, like two uh, lines like of five, perfectly cutting through. yeah, walking in perpendicular to each other, and they perfectly walk through each yeah. other. So uh, anyway, they're doing these team vanishes and productions, and one of them, like. And this was like the third time I saw it. So like no way where I catch this the first time. But one of them, I was like, oh, he's doing a vanish, but he's doing it with a muscle pass in a way that I just didn't expect. Sure. Um, and uh, I was just like, oh my God, that's yeah. a muscle pass. And he was like, yeah, because if you do it the other way, you can see the hand move. And I was like, yeah, but that's so hard. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's great. Uh, so um, Eddie, you're fantastic. Okay. So this is what I want to say about the convention in general. So I, I, I really did enjoy all the performances, mm-hmm. and I got something out of all the lectures. Now, this is not specific to this convention, but I do think that a hotel con- uh, conference room is not a great venue for performance in general. Okay. Uh, I have seen... Uh, now, most... Uh, you'll find most magic conventions are held in hotels, and most... Are in a conference room with a stage. Uh, yeah. So... I have or a ballroom seen, or something like that. I was in Orlando and I saw Ginger Minge, Alaska Thunderfuck, and Bob the Drag Queen from RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay. I, I did not understand what you're talking about until you said Bob the Drag Queen. Yeah. I saw them do a performance in a, on a very similar stage inside a hotel conference room. And so this is not about... And that this. does not feel like a venue for them. And by the way, their lectures were great. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Bob the Drag Queen has a great lecture on levitation. By the, Bob the Drag Queen is amazing. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, she it is... Win? She won, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, good for her. Um, I think he actually goes by he. Oh, does he? Yeah. I, uh, I have no idea. Um, actually, I, I don't know, actually, for mm. Bob. Um, so uh, it's just that it's... It's just not a great venue for anyone to do performance because there's so much air in the room. There is, um, there's a. It doesn't feel like the audience is like leaning into the performances mm-hmm. in a way that, and there's there, there's nothing they can do about it. I'm just saying that coming from the week before when we saw like Taylor and Woody at the Magic Castle, right. uh, obviously comparing the Magic Castle to a hotel conference room is not going to, mm-hmm. you know, be a good comparison for the convention. Right. But there is a. 
I don't like this feeling at hotel events in general where maybe this is a lecture thing. It feels like some of the audience just feels very free to like check out. Right. Um, and I feel bad for the because performers. Because for, for lack of a you know play on words, like it doesn't feel very like magical. You know what I mean? It yeah. feels very like business. It feels very... Yeah. So, I mean, that's probably endemic to conventions, not mm-hmm. just magic conventions, conventions in general. Sure. I'm curious, once you go to Magi Fest, yeah. um, if you have a takeaway, if you maybe they have a, um, a solution to it, um, or some, you know, acknowledgement of it. I don't yeah. know. Um, the other, oh, the other thing that I was, I was trying to explain this to Eric, and I don't know how to explain this, that you were asking about the kind of people that were there. Mm-hmm. I will say that I don't know, magic is so strange in that there are people in that room at that convention, some of whom are professional magicians in the sense that they make money doing magic, mm-hmm. that are that their taste level uh, and what they want to get out of it is so at odds with like other segments of the same, theoretically the same industry. Um, and by that, I just mean like, like uh, I was there with uh, Theron, Okay. was there too from one of our podcast listeners and yeah. Peter Peter was there too and I think at one point both of them just like mentioned like how bad some of the jokes were right um, and some of the jokes were killing like with that crowd oh okay and, and, but they were really bad <laughs> uh, like jokes performers were making yeah okay like and were they convention jokes like mm, jokes about magic for magicians uh, some of them but some of them were just puns mm-hmm. Some of them were, and I was just thinking like, it's so weird. There isn't so, but the comparison I was trying to make to Eric was, it's not like in theater, there's Broadway. And then at like someone doing a community theater production of Wicked or Pippin, let's say they're maybe not as good or maybe they don't have the money or whatever, but they're not trying to fundamentally do something different than what Broadway is trying to do. Right. Whereas in magic, it feels like there's people at various levels that are just like, no, this is what it is. Like yeah. it, it, and it's hard to pull that all. I was telling Eric, it almost feels like if in, if, it, if there, if the genre is called singing and you were like, there's pop singers and opera and we have to have one convention for both. of them. All right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, I think again, uh, to me, a lot of those similar issues always come back to the same idea is that when you have an industry built upon secrecy from the audience, um, I feel like all, you know, Broadway and all of these things to some level, to a big level, I would say, is mainly dictated by the audience and what they like and what they want. Uh, and in magic, it's the opposite. The audience isn't really dictating what they want. Magicians d- sort of put out what it is, and then mm-hmm. audiences, they find their audience that way. Right. Um, right. As we've talked about many times on this podcast, you know, improv, UCB has a dedicated, discerning audience. It doesn't really necessarily always want to do it, has no interest in, like, becoming a main stage performer. But... They understand it and they like it, and that sort of curves and maintains a certain quality. That, but magic is the opposite. Magicians set what that is because people don't see a lot of magic. It's um, interesting. Magic I, isn't talked about that much. I feel like improv and uh, especially improv. I would say maybe stand up to a degree, but improv is you benefit as an audience member the more you understand the thought process the performers are going through. Right. And, I think uh, in magic the same is true. To be honest, but a lot of people don't see it that way. I think that magic. It is true when the performers decide to share their thought process with the audience. Not right. not necessarily just saying like this is what I think about the trick, but in some way, um, 
imparting some part of like why this trick is important to you or something like that. Right. But there's a fair amount of magic that's like, uh, no, you're this is a black box and you just see like the results of it. Yes. And you're expected to kind of like just be amazed by that yes. part of it. And I'm not, you know, I won't even come down hard enough to say that's wrong. I disagree with that philosophy. Yeah. Um, I, I do not believe in the idea that Th- at least theory, theory on magic and, and why certain things work the way they do and how to strengthen them and why a certain move or a certain thing to prove something helps strengthen that trick. I think talking about those things, I think is very interesting. Uh, I will point out something that Peter uh, mentioned about Eric Tate. Uh, so Peter can have credit for pointing His beard out. sucks. No, he's uh, a very nice beard. People with beards suck. That was a weird thing for Peter to say because yeah. he kind of has one. Um, no, uh, he mentioned uh, that when Eric Tate would go get volunteers for the audience he would just go up to them and be like are you cool and he'd be like <laughs> okay uh, cool like come up like that's all he would say. he wouldn't be like you know <laughs> i mean i don't think this is exactly what paul veal said but it wasn't like excuse me would you be willing to participate in the in a, and i promise like like right. some people uh i'm sorry I, uh, it is pretty good the more you do it some people have a um spiel Mm-hmm. Paul Vigil doesn't really, but some people do. I've seen a lot of magicians that have a little like, here's the three sentences I say whenever I go get a volunteer. Right. Um, and the Eric Tate version feels much more like a human being asking you, hey, do you want to come up? Like, it just felt very sure. personal, felt less guarded in a way. And also, sometimes when people, sometimes when magicians have a little mini disclaimer before they bring you up, it's almost like, oh, I didn't think you were going to fuck with me. Like, why are you mentioning all these bad things? That well, I think we've all seen the people that are so afraid to come up. Yeah, um, we've all seen people mistreated when they've gone up, and uh, and I I, 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 I mean, yeah, it sounds like that works very well for Eric Tate. I'm yeah. not saying there's a right way to do this, find yeah. the right way. I, but I do think that if done properly, there is value in saying like. I promise you this will be okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, maybe I'll do it sometime and just like have that disclaimer part take like five minutes long right. and, and make them sign. Something. You pull out a yellow one. <laughs> <laughs> so I should just sign this uh, waiver and then an NDA. <laughs> anyway, first convention, I spent a lot of money. It was great. Um, and you, the, and I have a chop cup. I have a bunch of other bull crap too. So. To all of our listeners, I'm right now about seventy percent into a sneeze, so that's just I'm I'm in a constant state of agony. And He's buffering I, a sneeze. Yeah, I'm buffering a sneeze. Um, I know it's a genetic thing. I think that if you look at a bright light, it forces yes, a sneeze. I, a, I thought that was an everyone thing, but it's not. Um, and so I'm looking at your light, your your uh, light bulbs above us, and it's not doing the trick. And it's kind of going away, but it's still there, at like ten percent, um, and it's just the greatest pain of my life. That's one of the things uh, that shows up on Twenty Three and Me. Oh. They'll be like, are you a sun sneezer? Oh, I'm the, I am I can't take a photo outside without sunglasses. That's why you can't be an astronaut. Yeah. For that mission where they fly directly into the sun. Because <laughs> <sun. laughs> you'll just be sneezing the whole time. Like, right. Uh, oh, I did are it. you sick? You sound sick. I promise I'm not sick. Because if you're sick, you're going to fuck this whole thing. Yeah. Did you? Are you in the AMC club? A-list? Yeah. No. I, I joined that recently. But you know, a good they, friend of mine is, and so we only see, and we see, she's the friend I see movies uh, with all the time, and we only see movies at AMC. Because you do Even though they don't have raisinets. They have sun-made chocolate-covered raisins, which are different, and they are worse. Sorry, continue. They, uh, because there isn't one convenient to you, is that right? Um, there's, um, there's now one much closer to me. The, there's two that are each 15 minutes from me, but there's also two Pacific theaters that are both two minutes from me in either direction. Um, so it just... 
there's not one super convenient to me, but I joined anyway because it's actually, it's so cheap. It's like thirty a month, twenty four a month for three movies see, a week. Three movies a week, and then I mean you're always getting little perks with popcorn and shit. And yeah. So yeah, I, I, I'm sure there's a, there's an AMC now opening about six seven minutes from me or ten minutes from me, and yeah. now I'll have about three all within twenty minutes, and then I'll probably do it. So there's one in the San Gabriel Valley that has uh, that's basically oh, that's in far. Monterey Park. Yeah, but it's in like. Chinatownish, all of San Gabriel Valley is like China. Yeah, in, yeah. <laughs> I, I will say the word infested, which is not what I <laughs> meant to say. <laughs> Overrun, uh, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, corrupted. Um, and what's dangerous about this one in Monterey Park is outside of the theater, there's one of my a branch of one of my favorite Chinese. We went to this 101 noodle. Yeah, it was delicious. Another branch of that is directly outside of that movie theater, oh, my God. and a. A store that sells churros. Oh, that's dangerous. Yeah, very dangerous. Uh, the, and the reason I can't remember why I brought it up, except that I saw Parasite last night. <laughs> oh, right. So yeah. So uh, just really quickly, um, you should go see Parasite. What what sparked you to go see Parasite? Uh, so if I you fi- know anyone? Basically, if you go online and type in the movie Parasite, you're gonna hear some incredibly strong language used to describe this movie like oh. i i mean just like i mean the way people are talking about it is unlike any other movie i posted on facebook about it yeah um, i think you saw my post I, I basically said like go see it i consider this movie to be mandatory viewing and then four different people commented under it like yes 100 percent agree see this film now then you posted something very similar to that last night yes. it's like the way people are taught like it's not just like endgame was awesome go see it it's like what are you it's why are you eating a sandwich right now find a theater I mean, that's playing this i and almost see it. am like because I'm in this AMC club, I'm almost like, like if if you haven't seen Parasite yet, right? I will take you like let's go see yes. it because I do want to see it again. The the great thing about living with my parents is that if I ever see something without them and I really just want to see it again, I can just make them. Did see you make them see it? I did. I was basically talking. To what do they think? Um, they basically came away. We talked about it a lot. I think ultimately, I mean, you know, they're going to be thinking about that for the next few weeks more so than any other movie they've seen recently. Yeah. I think though that they kind of came away going. I'm really glad I saw it. I don't know if I liked it, yeah. but I, you know, they interestingly enough came away with a different thoughts on the morality of the movie than I did. Uh-huh. Um, they were like, I don't like Koreans, right? Then uh, <laughs> I said, well, I hate Koreans, so that's yeah. we, we, we different. No, but they, there's two families in the movie um, that the movie centers around, and I came away being like, this family is a little bit is worse than this family, and they kind of came with a flip view of it oh in a way that was like i i, I mean it, 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 neither family comes out of this movie looking great uh but i actually thought it was um uh for by the end of it i was like oh this feels like a coen brothers movie oh, because basically like something happens and then just like the consequences just spin out in right. a way that's like not predictable yes the best thing about the movie is that the if if I showed you the first thirty minutes of the movie, there's no way you can predict what happens. Absolutely, in the same thing. If you watch the trailer for that movie, the trailer gives you the tone, but does not give you the plot. Yeah, I would not read anything more about it just because. Yeah, but, but I will say that one my my most like the thing that piqued my interest the most about the movie was that um, it doesn't. I think the movie is sort of uh, shifty about the morality. Mm, yes. Um, oh, absolutely. And I really think that. I mean, initially, like I said, my parents and I disagree about yeah. who's right and who's wrong. And you say initially until you badger them into agreeing with you, right? <laughs> you put your like uh, like mock trial. Well, I, I kind of see like where they're coming from, and there was an and there's something that my mom had pointed out that I had not thought about. Yeah, and then even certain lines were dissecting um, just about like the way one family sees the other one, and yes. like, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, uh, 
Um, Just go see this fucking movie. Go oh see this movie, and I would say that uh, this is movie. This movie is one million times better than Joker, and in touches upon similar like class issues yeah in a way that joker is just like feels like um like a college sophomore being like this is what i think about rich people right and this is like a way more gray complex mm-hmm. examination yeah this is less divisive than joker has been for well, sure i also the one thing I, I was telling eric about it was that what i love about this movie which i on retrospect i really dislike about joker is that there's violence in joker that is directed at people that uh, don't deserve it in Joker, mm-hmm. right? And every time it happens in Joker, it's not shown. Everything that does happen in Joker is like, quote unquote, justified by like, this guy was a jerk. So now we get to see this like horror, horrific thing happen to him on screen. Right. And then there's a bunch of implied violence that is like, I guess this happened even though like, right. like you have to put it together. Right. And that's a kind of crappy way to like end up getting you to kind of sympathize for somebody because you are implying all of the like truly horrible things he does because to, to completely innocent people and mm-hmm. then showing these ones that feel like cinema justified. Like, right. yeah, this violence that's is interesting. Like, I had not thought of that before. And, and this movie is not that at all. Right. Like there's things that happen in this movie where I was like, I will just say this. The most fascinating thing about this movie was there was one specific thing that happened that I was 1,000% emotionally on board for uh-huh. that I was like, yes, this should happen. Really? We just need to lean away from the mic so you can tell me what this is really yeah. quick. What? The, um, the, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and taking a half step back from the situation, I was like, the the thing the thing that the the one of these people does not deserve this at all right and i was like but i still am glad it happened right and i was like that's an incredible cinema achievement to get all of my like non-rational things lined up in a way that's like fucking yes do this yeah and then just to be like oh no that was horrible right <laughs> and the thing that happened just before that too i was the same way because yeah. again like you're sort of conflicted about it and 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 also to actually to your point, unlike Joker, they show you what happens. Yeah. You know what? It's like uh, getting people to building up the tension for the reveal of a magistrate. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that, and, and we'll get off this soon for a movie that not a lot of people have seen, but yeah. fucking go see Parasite. Um, is that uh, um, I did see uh, a, I did not watch it because um, it's like 25 minutes. Um, but there was a video I saw when I looked up Parasite stuff. It was 25 minutes of a guy, and the title of the video was Why Parasite was what Joker was trying so to be. So I did see that video. Oh, you watched it? Uh, and that guy's... I've never seen that guy's channel before. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of really interesting thoughts. I do not like his on-camera style. Okay. But he's got a lot of great ideas. So it's worth watching, except that like he he doesn't... He like li- smacks his lips a lot. Yeah. Uh, however, have you seen a lot of other Bong Joon-ho movies? I've actually never seen one. Oh. Um, and so I... I believe I, Snowpiercer you can just see on Netflix. Snowpiercer right? on Netflix. Okja, I believe, is a Netflix original. And The Host. I've never seen... As I've never seen any of them. I'm familiar with all of them, and I'm familiar with like the reputation they have as bizarre... You know, yeah. however you describe have this. Have you seen like Korean movies like uh, Old Boy? No, never seen Old Boy, but I know that's you know the, like amazing. the Korean movie. There's kind of. the guy who made Old Boy. Uh, I think I want to say that's Park Chan Wook. Has a whole uh, trilogy of it's called the Vengeance trilogy. And then they made a, an American version with Josh Brolin. Ooh, I never, the, yeah, I never. That was saw actually the first time I'd heard of it. Um, right. But uh, but then when I when I heard something about this movie, they're basically like, this is definitely 
up there in the new pantheon of Korean movies with Old Boy, and so yeah, I, yeah. I, I know that's kind of the movie. Yeah, Old Boy is incredible. Anyway, um, so Parasite. you, uh, one thing we were going to talk about was oh, right. your essay. Yeah, so I've been writing this thing about a thought I've had, just a little thought, like something to think about. Um, and uh, and I, I basically wrote a draft of it that I want to edit before I like put it out anywhere. But at the very least, I wanted to talk about the idea. I've been a little guarded about talking about this just because I'm afraid that someone's going to go, well, that's complete bullshit. Um, but I've run it on a couple people whose opinions I respect, and they all kind of see where I'm coming from. Um, so I'm going to bring up a little article here. Uh, a couple of years ago at um, Magic Live, Joshua J was interviewed um, in the general session one day by Jonathan Levitt. And he was talking about a psychological study he did called What Do Audiences Really Think? He worked with um, a woman, uh, a um, a psychologist at the uh, University of New Jersey or a a school in New Jersey. Um, And I have, uh, uh, I definitely have the details. As like an actual academic study. Um, Yeah, with a... uh, at the College of New Jersey. It was an actual academic scientific study, uh, and it was the first time that a ma- magic study was ever made for magicians. There had been studies about magic before, but not necessarily for the benefit of magicians, to be mm-hmm. given to magicians as a, as, as a result. Um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Grimm, I don't know, if, Dr. Lisa Grimm, and this is, so this is in 2014 where they uh, did this study. Um, and if you look up the, if you Google what do audiences really think Joshua J, a 10-page article will come up, and that is what I'm holding on my phone. I've read this. I haven't read it in, um, in a I few did take a look at this since I've, uh, since I've finished writing this essay. And what they basically do is, is they basically asked audiences what they th- thought, and they, they basically did this little survey, and they found out things about, um, uh, you know, how much people like magic, and they rank you know, where they would see a magician against, like, a comedian, a concert, seeing a movie, um, going to a party, uh, attending a play, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and they do things like that. What do people like about magic? Why? Do, uh, where are people seeing magic? What do people um, hate about magic? Uh, you know, how to th- pick up a volunteer? Um, some interesting stuff there. And a lot of it, and so he basically gave this thing that said a lot of kind of what we're doing as magicians, in some cases, goes against what the data shows is successful, right? For instance, uh, I think the one that sticks out to me the most, and it's here in the section, Can I Get a Volunteer, on page five of this article, says that, um, you know, one in three people are terrified to go up on stage, one in three people are really nervous, one in three people don't want to do it. And he goes, and if you have an important show, or it's a big show, or something, you know, or of course all your shows are, you know, important to some degree, mm-hmm. you don't, like, 33.3%, uh, of you know, chance of having someone that has absolutely no interest and therefore could sort of ruin what's happening, ruin the momentum, ruin you know, is a really that's really high uh, to just kind of gamble on and just finding someone. So he had basically suggested, why not try doing something like, you know, fi- that you know, finding one of the sixty six percent of people by sort of asking like, who would like you know, sort of a who would like to come up, who who is interested in you know being part of this or something like that, and they can co- sort of find you. Now, of course, that has its own risks about the wrong people coming up on stage in its own own way, but stuff like that. This study for anyone who hasn't heard, though I'm sure a lot of the people that listen to this have heard of this in some in some way or another, um, have a. Uh, uh, he takes these sort of psychological points they made and, and these surveys they did and, and sort of teaches you how you might sort of fit your act to, uh, to best take, um, t- take, uh, uh, take charge or, t- you know, take advantage of, of these statistics. One of them was very, very interesting. So, like, one of them was really interesting about um, whether or not your introduction matters. And what they found was that people tended to enjoy magic more when they gave the magician a better introduction. So I think they – I think what he said was they showed a video of Sean Farquhar um, – 
I could be making that up, but they showed two different groups, the same video of the same magician. Mm-hmm. One, they said, this is a magician, enjoy. And one, they said, you know, this is Sean Farquhar, he's the world champion of magic, this is the act he did to win the first prize at the world championship of the magic, he fooled Penn and Teller two different times, et cetera, et cetera. And the group that got the better interaction had a better retention rate of what the magic was, they um, were uh, they, they claimed to not be able to figure out what the trick was uh, more, um, and so it, apparently, according to the study, Giving it, having a strong introduction of yourself really does matter. So mm-hmm. I, he would disagree with the idea of like, you know, just have someone say, you know, this is John and have John come up. Right. Um, now, I know in, in comedy, a lot of people don't want that. Don't want big flowery in, introductions. They don't want, they don't want the expectation raised too high. They, they do want that. Now, that if that's, if well, this, I wouldn't mind seeing a similar study done. I'd be very curious to see if, if it is different for magicians versus comedians as far as how the audience responds, right? Because I mean, I think I do absolutely see the, uh, the fear there as a comedian, as a stand-up, because this is the funniest comedian in the world. Right. You know, it's very easy for people, even unintentionally, to you know, put their fold their arms and go, "We'll see." Um, but your expectations are set that way. So, all of this to say, there was one thing that I think that anybody who listened to that talk at Magic Live came away with, and you could feel it when I watched it, and I felt the exact same. Uh, I felt the exact same way. Um, and then a section on page eight is called Forgettable Card Tricks. At Magic Live, what he said was that they found that the lowest level of retention, what you're able to recall in Magic, is card tricks by a mile. Mm. Um, when they were asking people to describe their favorite type of Magic, what they got the least amount of specificity on was card tricks. Um, and they they would basically say, you know, they would do this with the coin, they would describe a coin trick, and they would do this with the rope, and then they would do card tricks. Anytime it came to card tricks, they would just sort of say card tricks. What mm. they found was that uh, by a, a very, very, very large amount, they, um, they could not remember what card tricks were. However, it did say that people liked card tricks, which is interesting. So basically, the whole room gets just hit with this gut punch that feels like card tricks are the most forgettable kind of magic. Mm. And you can just feel this wave of despair sweep across you know, the 500 people in this room. And uh, and so Joshua J basically goes, however, uh, there, is a, there is a way you can save that. He goes, here's how you can fix that. And he says, what you can do is you can anchor your card trick to another physical prop and it raises the retention back up. For instance, a card appears in a lemon. That is a memorable trick. People can recall that in a way they couldn't recall other card tricks. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it was still like, I mean, it was... <laughs> right, it, I mean, like, basically people weren't like, like, oh, I'm so excited to put a physical prop in right. my 20-minute set that's five card tricks. So that was earlier in the week at Magic Live. Uh-huh. For the next three days, anytime that came up, the only thing people could talk about is how you're not allowed to do card magic anymore, apparently. You know, like, oh, well, apparently you can't do card magic because, you know, everyone forgets card magic, right? And it was just like, it, it, I mean, it was it was just this horrible news for this convention, right? Yeah. And it became this big what, running joke. What year joke. was this? Um, I want to say 2016, maybe. Okay. 2015 or 2016. Uh, I, I, I might have this specific date written down <laughs> of this paper. Um, but... So I, I'm one of these people. I'm like, you know, 22 or something like that, and I don't know any better. And uh, uh, right. so I'm, you know, I hear this, I go, oh wow, that's that's so interesting, and I'm thinking about it. So then, anytime someone pulls out a deck of cards at the Magic Live, there's the thing. People go, oh well, you can't do card magic anymore. You know, I would love it if this turned out to be sponsored by the lemon industry. <laughs> right, lemon, like the fun, the the study was funded by um, big big lemon. And so the first thing I'm going to say, so I, I basically have a response to this, and I, I'm thinking a lot about it over the last couple of years. <laughs> My response is no. 
more or less. <laughs> but well, here's, so, so I've been thinking a lot about it, and the first thing I'm going to say is I'm not going to dispute what he claimed. I'm not going to say, well, in my shows, people remember the tricks. I'm not going to say that. I think he did his due diligence there, and I think that uh, that is probably true to to uh, to whatever extent they, they, they claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that is false. That being said, months after that, maybe about a month after that, I was uh, coaching mock trial at the time, mm-hmm. and I was telling this to a judge who was another a coach, a, a sitting a superior court judge in Los Angeles County, uh, who I've known for a very long time, and I was basically lamenting the same thing. Uh, oh my God, what a gut punch! You know, hard matter is the most forgettable kind of thing, and it's so interesting, and you know, yada yada yada. And he goes, uh, and and in a very, sh- and, you know. Uh, in four words, he basically makes me reconsider this whole thing. And I think in a way only a judge really can. And the four uh, words were, who are you again? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I went, okay. So he basically, I, all this, and he'd seen me perform several times. And he goes, um, is that so bad? And I was like, well, yeah, because, you know, people don't remember. And, of course, there's, you know, all these quotes. I think it's like a Di Vernon quote that all your magic should be able to be, all your tricks should be able to be summed up in one sentence, you know, Um and that's sort of the tradition is that all you know simplicity is the best kind of magic. Simplicity is the best kind of magic. So if something's forgettable, then it wasn't simple enough, and therefore it was bad. And so he goes, "Is that so bad?" And I and I'm like, "Well," and I get a little tongue tied trying to kind of explain why it's so bad. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "That I mean, let's say somebody sees you perform. They had a great time. They loved you. They want to see you again. A year later, they can't remember a single thing you did, but they remember that they enjoyed it. They remember it was a good time. They remember they still want to see you again. Oh, so his, the, his question is, is it being forgettable such a bad big Exactly. Deal? And that's what I'm now thinking about. Yeah. What was interesting to me about this news and the way this news was relayed was that there was never a single moment where anybody, including myself, anybody I heard at that convention, discussed what the implications of that claim were, Right. I don't think that that is a good thing that magic that card magic is forgettable. I don't think it's a bad thing that mag- card magic is ne- inherently forgettable. I think mm-hmm. it is just a thing. I think it is us up to us as magicians to interpret that information and then re- figure out how we want to then incorporate it into our performances. I mean, very similarly, you asked me what Eric Tate did in his card chart workshop, and I was like, I really liked it. Uh, I, th- he's, I exactly. also that was a big blur of like card magic sure but like i I can't i couldn't i would have to think about what john bannon did in his life right and so i think and so i think it back to um in my own personal experience and 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 now could this i'm gonna call myself my bullshit now for any critics who are listening thank you finally uh right is it possible that somewhere deep down i'm i have this opinion to justify my own act probably uh, that's probably part of it. If I had the most direct, memorable card magic of all time, I'd probably be like, yeah, fucking make your card magic more memorable. But I will also say this. I think of the best card magic shows I've ever seen in my life, some of the best close-up shows I've ever seen in my life, being very card magic-heavy <laughs> shows. Mm-hmm. For instance, Invisible Tango, which we saw earlier this year. Nothing to Hide with Derek Delgado and Hunter Guimaras, right? If you ask me about Nothing to Hide, I can remember maybe one trick in that show, and it's one of the best close-up magic shows I've ever seen. When but I think they about, were anchored to a bunch of physical props, <laughs> um, and they were. And then uh, uh, I'm, again, I'm not saying that it's not true. Like Derek Delgado's one man show, um, uh, uh, in and of itself, is quite memorable because everything is a very, very concrete prop. Mm-hmm. Um, how? But again, I really loved Nothing to Hide. A lot of people did. It became a huge, huge, huge sensation that really helped launch both of them in a very mainstream way. Yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you what was going on in that. I think back to one of the best magic shows I've ever seen at the Magic Castle. That was Danny D'Ortiz doing his own show for 45 minutes in the Peller. He came out, he sat down at a table, he pulled out a deck of cards, and he went for 45 minutes. I cannot think of a time in the last couple of years where I saw any one performer kill harder than Danny D'Ortiz did in front of the in front of mostly non-magic. 
People mm-hmm. were screaming. They were laughing. They were enjoying it. It was incredible. I and I know Danny Dortiz's uh, act. I've seen. You know, I, I've been familiar with his his work for years now. I'd never seen him live before. I don't remember very much of what he did at all, but I still remember it was one of the finest shows I'd ever seen. Uh, and then, I, you know, thinking back, it's funny. This quote has kind of followed me around for a, for about a year because there was a couple times where I found it very, very, very um, apropos to whatever I was kind of doing at the time. There was that Maya Angelou, qu- uh, Maya Angelou quote that people will forget what you said and people will forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Oh. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, no. It's, it's, it's a great quote, and yeah. it's it's so uh, spot on and, and so many things. I think that this is sort of a case of that. Now, granted, if you're hearing me say that any magic that's for forgettable is still good that's not what i'm saying right if magic is boring in the moment and that's why it's forgettable then that's still bad magic if you're doing the 21 card trick three different times in your show you know or or everything is long and boring like that that's still bad it still needs to be good and entertaining and direct in the moment but i'm just saying that later on it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world if people forget what happened so long as they remember that they enjoyed it and that it was a good experience, right? right? Trying to control what one moment or two moments everyone will remember from your show is incredibly difficult. It's 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 more e- controllable, I think, to have a to create an atmosphere, a strong atmosphere, uh, and a certain feel and a certain environment that you want the audience to feel and, and be a part of. That's what they're going to remember, and that's an easier thing for you as a magician to control. And I think, I I think. For me personally, the way I look at it is that I think I'm a performer before I'm a magician, right? My goal is to entertain an audience mm-hmm. uh, by any means necessary. I've chosen magic. For, sort of, before that, though, you're a son. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, remember that. Uh, um, <laughs> but I, uh, I, you know, I've chosen magic sort of as the means to that end of how to entertain an audience, right? Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, my job is still to entertain an audience. And that doesn't necessarily mean that a year from now, they can perfectly, you know, yeah. transcribe every moment that happened and if you and now that's important to you i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm not saying it has to be memorable what i'm saying is it was shocking to me looking back that all of us got trapped in this haze that the second we were told that retention was low in card magic we assumed that meant it was bad i felt that there was a very giant leap that we made as magicians when we heard that news that um wasn't that that skipped a very important uh, mm-hmm. thought, uh, th- that, sk- like step memorability the thought is the same as enjoyability. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think about, I mean, you're you know, an, an expert in a style of comedy that exists for a certain amount of time yeah. that is not meant to be rec- uh, recreated. In fact, who amongst us, I'm sure you've done this before, I've done it before, who amongst us has seen a great improv show that we love and then we try to explain a funny joke to somebody else? Yeah. Like, oh, this hilarious thing happened? It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. It's impossible. There's an experience built upon context yeah. right those people you know and there's uh, there's sort of this magic uh, well that kind of goes back to what, what i was saying about enjoying the thought process of the performers mm-hmm. is my theory about improv is um that you are not actually and en- enjoying the like results of what the brains of the people have thought of on stage mm-hmm. you are enjoying watching them come up with it right you're watching so, the journey which is why almost every single person you know that's an improv comedian when you see them in a long form improv show that really hits, that is the funniest you will ever see them. They're they almost no one is funnier in a different context. Sure. So like everybody that loves Silicon Valley and likes Thomas Middleditch, if you haven't seen him do improv, like he is one of the funniest improvisers I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I think he's very good on Silicon Valley, but like, it's not the same. Like John Lutz, who was like a, yeah. So we're on From, 30, uh, Rock. 30 Rock. Yeah. And John he writes Lutz, for uh, Myers, Seth Myers and Dan back him, I do not know. Um, you would recognize him. He was on Veep for a while. Okay. Um, 
like their two person improv show is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I bet. And it's just not a because when you go into scripted things, those comedy brains don't get to like work out the way that you get to see right. them do in improv. So like seeing that is is all the fun I think in improv. And then I think once you get to strip tom- comedy, there's a certain type of per- personality that works there as well. Yeah, and also this is why you can't explain it to someone else, right? Because you're trying uh, in general, people are trying to explain what the result of it was, right? And not the like uh, that's a, that's they a great they point. stitched together this information and this thing, and that's really what you enjoyed mm-hmm. was seeing their brain like put it all together right, right, right. in front of you. Um, yeah, I th- also I think that. Um, for I have heard I don't think I've heard, I don't know I've heard people also talk about like that there you can have a problem sometimes if you put a set together that's too many strong effects in a row mm-hmm. of in the same way mm-hmm. like imagine if you put together six effects in a row that were all super memorable right like no there's probably some fatigue on the part of the audience that um, they wouldn't remember all of it anyway and right. I wonder if when you're putting together a magic show if there's some effects that are like, okay, this isn't the most memorable effect, but it serves a different purpose in this show. Like maybe it changes the pace Mm -hmm. or maybe it establishes some other precedent for another trick. Maybe it helps you get set up for the next one. Like there's probably other functional things about putting your set together. Absolutely. I think what I'm basically saying is don't let just this one statistic um, as a statistic uh, have any objective weight on like you and your decisions. Well, in terms as an of artist. like, if you're really into card magic and you hear this, don't just be like, I got to get this chop. Right. Cup. Just sort of keep <laughs> scrutinizing what that means. So if someone goes, Oh, card magic is forgettable a week out from an audience, don't just go, Oh, well, then I have to put it down and do something else. Ask yourself, Okay, well, what does that mean for me? Do I like that? Do I not like that? Do How do you, I react to that? How do I respond to it? Do you need fresh lemons? Do I need fresh I, lemons? I just started a company called Fresh Lemons from Magicians.com. Right. Um, um, so just feel free to drop us a like at uh, freshlemons.com. Um, also, I would be curious to see if this study could be replicated because mm-hmm. that's something you probably should be doing in academia, sure. right? Um, and also, uh, I, actually, I should look at how that model was constructed. I should be very interested to know if audience members saw three like very good magicians and one of them was like cards only well for a moment i'll read you the uh i can read you what they did well so my my question is is was it that i didn't remember what the trick was or if i saw three 15 minute sets mm-hmm. and one of them was just cards would i not remember that magician the magician not the effects right so uh but they did is yeah they um uh, they they tested an audience's recall on magic. Uh, let's see. They we asked people to describe magic effects they have seen and separately their favorite magic trick. This data is useful because it allows us to discern the tricks that stay with people even years after they have seen them. Yeah. We can see the qualities of tricks that are remembered best and whether we can learn anything about how to make our own magic more memorable. And if people haven't seen much magic before, we can see how they remember tricks we showed them earlier in the survey. A person's memory of a performance is arguably more important than their feelings during a magic show. Interesting. That now see that, and that that's actually, a premise that they're sort of taking. Well, he says arguably. So, because um, that is taking a, a, the premise that it's important for it to be memorable. Right. Which is not So, it starts with that. I, I would, if I were to correct that, I would say a person's memory performance is arguably more important than a feeling during a magic show. I would change that argue, potentially to a person's um, memory of how they felt about a magic show. Yeah. Not necessarily the memory of what happened, but how you remember f- coming out of that experience. Yeah. 
Um, this is what would be a good test. Who's a magician that could do a like an A plus 15 minutes of cards, 15 minutes of, uh, I don't know, maybe shoot is the person we should do this. Right. Like three different disciplines and similarly high proficiency at all three mm-hmm. and then show the clip, like 15 minute clips to like different control groups or whatever uh, and variable groups and see which ones they like liked the magician the most so you, you know what i mean yeah, like how I do think, you pick the material that's a lot of yeah. interesting stuff there um so uh so we, when they're talking about their favorite tricks he goes card tricks were frequently named but almost never described in any detail this was so alarming to us that we added questions to the experiment asking participants to specifically describe a card effect they had seen even when prompted only 27 percent of participants could describe any card trick with specificity the most common response was simply to list tricks with cards what does this mean it means that to most people card tricks are categorically speaking hard to tell apart i dislike country music so uh, when i hear anything with a honky tonk banjo riff regardless of singing or tempo or subject the only thing i can hear is country music for the most participants was that a was that a hypothetical quote yes because that's sort of not true because didn't the study say that people liked card magic generally uh yeah so that's not really well, people the, said they like that's not the right hyper- very interesting statement. yeah you're right that, that uh um for the most part uh, for most participants any trick with a pack of cards is just a card trick and with a reasonable time lapse most people will be unable to recall how many cards are picked how you found the card whether you separated the cards by color or whether you dealt yourself four aces yeah i mean that makes sense except that you should they should be added like most people can remember this but they also said they liked it right <laughs> like um yeah uh, do you want to take this chop cup now? Do you need to shift into chop cups? <laughs> uh, right. So come see me at the Magic Castle in December where it's uh, the chop cup back. Uh, we did announce this, right? This, I don't think we did, actually. Did we oh, not? actually, we didn't talk about like, that. We actually did go to the castle and I did get to see Woody Aragon. Oh, yeah. Because we recorded right before that. Right. And then I, my what schedule... What time's your movie, by the way? Uh, I have to leave in like... Uh, like 20 minutes okay uh, we're seeing jojo rabbit so i'm very uh, there's the, the two big movies i need to see right now are jojo rabbit and the lighthouse um oh my god the light, i want to see the lighthouse um so anyway we i did end up seeing woody aragon which i really mm-hmm. enjoyed um well, all card magic yeah all card magic all good card magic yeah um, and that audience left satisfied yeah oh so wait your Magic Castle Run. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'll be in late close-up December 9th through 15th. Did we not talk about this? On the no, because you told me at Magic Castle that you got this game. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I will be in late close-up December 9th through 15th. So uh, come by, see the show, say hi. Um, late is what times? 10, 10, 45, 11, 30, 12, 30. All right, cool. So 9th, 15th. Uh, yeah, come, come say hi. Uh, I don't know a lot of people at the Magic Castle, um, and that is... I. I <laughs> I'm not, specifically because I'm, I'm criminally antisocial and shy. So uh, come yeah. and say hi. And, um, you know, um, don't this... give me notes in my act right after the show ends. <laughs> <laughs> Do it during. Do it during. Yell at, you know. Um, uh, oh, I mean, I did this to a stand-up Saturday night. I felt really bad about it. They, My friend, uh, I'm friends with him. This guy, Jared Goldstein, is a very funny stand-up. He said a joke, and I was like, that premise didn't sound right for the punchline. And so I went up to him after. I was like, what? I was like, what? what's the premise for that one? Cause I think I misheard it and he said it and I was like, I don't think that's what you said. And then I immediately was just like, Oh my God, I'm such a dick. Like, <laughs> oh, we've all done it. We've you all, know, I, I was kind of just being like, Hey, I think you misspoke that premise. So I think that's why that punchline didn't hit the way you thought it would mm-hmm. is, is what I wanted to get across. But like, but also, like, you walk off stage and the first thing is a guy being like, Hey, uh, I don't think you said your joke. Right. right. You know, I've been to the castle too. Yeah. Uh, uh, or someone's like, ah, you know, like, um, 
You might want to try this. Yeah. Um, you might want to try uh, getting the fuck out of here because I have another show in ten minutes. <laughs> I don't need your. I don't need you fucking in my head right now. Uh, so go to John's show and tell him all these things. So if you if you so if you come up to me after a show and go, hey, I, I have a question. You mind if I ask you something about this act? Which is just your way of getting into giving me a note. I'm gonna say, you know what? Uh, can we talk about that after the week is over? Because right now I, 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 <laughs> then I get in my own head and it just it just it destroys me for like a couple days. Yeah. I'm not saying notes aren't valuable, um, but there's you know there's a difference between like let's talk about your act after the show, you know, versus like, you have another one in eight minutes. I need to tell you that you're flashing three times. Bye. Right. By the way, uh, that was a great Shooter Gawa impression just then. <laughs> like, hey, uh, that, in case you guys don't know, that's Shoot's real voice. If you didn't know, Shoot um, actually is uh, uh, Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So yeah, I got to go see Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. And then everyone else, go see Parasite. Yeah. Go see Parasite tonight. All right. We'll see you next time. See you.